0: chapter 9 of the jewel of seven stars this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by roger moline the jewel of seven stars by bram stoker chapter 9 the need of knowledge mr corbeck seemed to go almost off his head at the recovery of the lamps he took them up one by one and looked them all over tenderly as though they were things that he loved. In his delight and excitement he breathed so hard that it seemed almost like a cat purring. Sergeant Daw said quietly, his voice breaking the silence like a discord in a melody, Are you quite sure those lamps are the ones you had, and that were stolen? His answer was in an indignant tone, Sure, of course I'm sure. There isn't another set of lamps like these in the world." So far as you know, the detective's words were smooth enough, but his manner was so exasperating that I was sure he had some motive in it. So I waited in silence. He went on. Of course there may be some in the British Museum, or Mr. Trelawney may have had these already. There's nothing new under the sun, you know, Mr. Corbeck, not even in Egypt. These may be the originals, and yours may have been the copies. Are there any points by which you can identify these as yours?' Mr. Corbeck was really angry by this time. He forgot his reserve, and, in his indignation, poured forth a torrent of almost incoherent but enlightening broken sentences. "'Identify! Copies of them! British Museum! Rot!' perhaps they keep a set in Scotland Yard for teaching idiot policemen egyptology do I know them when I have carried them about my body in the desert for three months and lay awake night after night to watch them when I have looked them over with a magnifying glass hour after hour till my eyes ached till every tiny blotch and chip and ding became as familiar to me as his chart to a captain As familiar as they doubtless have been all the time to every thick-headed area prowler within the bounds of mortality, see here, young man, look at these. He ranged the lamps in a row on the top of the cabinet. Did you ever see a set of lamps of these shapes, of any one of these shapes? Look at these dominant figures on them. Did you ever see so complete a set, even in Scotland Yard, even in Bow Street?" Look, one on each, the seven forms of Hathor. Look at that figure of the Ka, of a princess of the two Egypts, standing between Ra and Osiris in the boat of the dead, with the eye of sleep, supported on legs, bending before her, and Harmokas rising in the north. Will you find that in the British Museum, or Bow Street? Or perhaps your studies in the Giza Museum, or the Fitzwilliam? or Paris, or Leiden, or Berlin have shown you that the episode is common in hieroglyphics and that this is only a copy. Perhaps you can tell me what that figure of Petar sikarosar holding the tet wrapped in the scepter of papyrus means. Did you ever see it before, even in the British Museum, or Giza, or Scotland Yard? He broke off suddenly and then went on in quite a different way. Look here. It seems to me that the thick-headed idiot is myself. I beg your pardon, old fellow, for my rudeness. I quite lost my temper at the suggestion that I do not know these lamps. You don't mind, do you? The detective answered heartily, Lord, sir, not I. I like to see folks angry when I am dealing with them, whether they are on my side or the other. It is when people are angry that you learn the truth from them. I keep cool. That is my trade. Do you know you have told me more about those lamps in the past two minutes than when you filled me up with details of how to identify them?" Mr. Corbeck grunted. He was not pleased at having given himself away. All at once he turned to me and said, in his natural way, "'Now tell me how you got them back?' I was so surprised that I said without thinking, WE DIDN'T GET THEM BACK. THE TRAVELER LAUGHED OPENLY. WHAT ON EARTH DO YOU MEAN? HE ASKED. YOU DIDN'T GET THEM BACK. WHY, THERE THEY ARE BEFORE YOUR EYES. WE FOUND YOU LOOKING AT THEM WHEN WE CAME IN. BY THIS TIME I HAD RECOVERED MY SURPRISE AND HAD MY WITS ABOUT ME. WHY, THAT'S JUST IT, I SAID. WE HAD ONLY COME ACROSS THEM BY ACCIDENT THAT VERY MOMENT. Mr. Corbeck drew back and looked hard at Miss Trelawney and myself, turning his eyes from one to the other as he asked, "'Do you mean to tell me that no one brought them here? That you found them in that drawer? That, so to speak, no one at all brought them back?' "'I suppose someone must have brought them here. They couldn't have come of their own accord. But who it was, or when, or how, neither of us knows.' We shall have to make inquiry and see if any of the servants know anything of it. We all stood silent for several seconds. It seemed like a long time. The first to speak was the detective, who said in an unconscious way, Well, I'm damned. Oh, I beg your pardon, miss. Then his mouth shut like a steel trap. We called up the servants, one by one, and asked them if they knew anything of some articles placed in a drawer in the boudoir, but none of them could throw any light on the circumstance. We did not tell them what the articles were or let them see them. Mr. Corbeck packed the lamps in cotton wool and placed them in a tin box. This, I may mention incidentally, was then brought up to the detective's room, where one of the men stood guard over them with a revolver the whole night. Next day we got a small safe into the house and placed them in it. There were two different keys. One of them I kept myself, the other I placed in my drawer in the safe deposit vault. We were all determined that the lamps should not be lost again. About an hour after we had found the lamps, Dr. Winchester arrived. He had a large parcel with him, which, when unwrapped, proved to be the mummy of a cat. With Miss Trelawney's permission he placed this in the boudoir, and Silvia was brought close to it. To the surprise of us all, however, except perhaps Dr. Winchester, he did not manifest the least annoyance. He took no notice of it whatever. He stood on the table close beside it, purring loudly then following out his plan the doctor brought him into mr Trelawney's room we all following dr winchester was excited miss Trelawney anxious i was more than interested myself for i began to have a glimmering of the doctor's idea the detective was calmly and coldly superior but mr corbeck who was an enthusiast was full of eager curiosity The moment Dr. Winchester got into the room, Silvio began to mew and wriggle, and jumping out of his arms, ran over to the cat mummy and began to scratch angrily at it. Miss Trelawney had some difficulty in taking him away, but so soon as he was out of the room, he became quiet. When she came back, there was a clamor of comments. "'I thought so,' from the doctor. "'What can it mean?' from Miss Trelawney. "'That's a very strange thing,' from Mr. Corbeck. "'Odd, but it doesn't prove anything,' from the detective. "'I suspend my judgment,' from myself, thinking it advisable to say something. Then, by common consent, we dropped the theme, for the present.' In my room that evening I was making some notes of what had happened when there came a low tap on the door. In obedience to my summons, Sergeant Daw came in, carefully closing the door behind him. "'Well, Sergeant,' said I, "'sit down. What is it?' "'I wanted to speak to you, sir, about those lamps.' I nodded and waited. He went on, YOU KNOW THAT THE ROOM WHERE THEY WERE FOUND OPENS DIRECTLY INTO THE ROOM WHERE MISS Trelawney SLEPT LAST NIGHT? YES. DURING THE NIGHT, A WINDOW SOMEWHERE IN THAT PART OF THE HOUSE WAS OPENED AND SHUT AGAIN. I HEARD IT AND TOOK A LOOK AROUND, BUT I COULD SEE NO SIGN OF ANYTHING. YES, I KNOW THAT, I SAID. I HEARD A WINDOW MOVED MYSELF. DOES NOTHING STRIKE YOU AS STRANGE ABOUT IT, SIR? strange i said strange why it's all the most bewildering maddening thing i've ever encountered it is all so strange that one seems to wonder and simply waits for what'll happen next but what do you mean by strange the detective paused as if choosing his words to begin and then said deliberately you see i am not one who believes in magic and such things I am for facts all the time, and I always find in the long run that there is a reason and a cause for everything. This new gentleman says these things were stolen out of his room in the hotel. The lamps, I take it from some things he has said, really belong to Mr. Trelawney. His daughter, the lady of the house, having left the room she usually occupies, sleeps that night on the ground floor a window is heard to open and shut during the night when we who have been during the day trying to find a clue to the robbery come to the house we find the stolen goods in a room close to where she slept and opening out of it he stopped i felt that same sense of pain and apprehension which i had experienced when he had spoken to me before creeping or rather rushing over me again I had to face the matter out, however. My relations with her, and the feelings toward her which I now knew full well meant a very deep love and devotion, demanded so much. I said as calmly as I could, for I knew the keen eyes of the skillful investigator were on me, And the inference? He answered with the cool audacity of conviction. The inference to me is that there was no robbery at all. The goods were taken by someone to this house, where they were received through a window on the ground floor. They were placed in the cabinet, ready to be discovered when the proper time should come. Somehow I felt relieved. The assumption was too monstrous. I did not want, however, my relief to be apparent, so I answered as gravely as I could, "'And who do you suppose brought them to the house?' I keep my mind open as to that. Possibly Mr. Corbeck himself. The matter might be too risky to trust to a third party. Then the natural extension of your inference is that Mr. Corbeck is a liar and a fraud, and that he is in conspiracy with Miss Trelawney to deceive someone or other about those lamps. Those are harsh words, Mr. Ross. They're so plain-spoken that they bring a man upstanding and make few doubts for him. But I have to go where my reason points. It may be that there is another party than Miss Trelawney in it. Indeed, if it hadn't been for the other matter that set me thinking and bred doubts of its own about her, I wouldn't dream of mixing her up in this. But I'm safe on Corbeck. Whoever else is in it, he is. The things couldn't have been taken without his connivance, if what he says is true. If it isn't, well, he is a liar anyhow. I would think it a bad job to have him stay in the house with so many valuables, only that it will give me and my mate a chance of watching him. We'll keep a pretty good lookout, too, I tell you. He's up in my room now, guarding those lamps, but Johnny Wright is there, too. I go on before he comes off, so there won't be much chance of another housebreaking. Of course, Mr. Ross, all this, too, is between you and me. Quite so. You may depend on my silence, I said, and he went away to keep a close eye on the Egyptologist. It seemed as though all my painful experiences were to go in pairs, and that the sequence of the previous day was to be repeated for before long I had another private visit from Dr. Winchester who had now paid his nightly visit to his patient and was on his way home. He took the seat which I proffered and began at once. This is a strange affair altogether. Miss Trelawney has just been telling me about the stolen lamps and of the finding of them in the Napoleon cabinet. It would seem to be another complication of the mystery and yet, do you know, it is a relief to me. I have exhausted all human and natural possibilities of the case, and am beginning to fall back on superhuman and supernatural possibilities. Here are such strange things that, if I am not going mad, I think we must have a solution before long. I wonder if I might ask some questions and some help from Mr. Corbeck. "'without making further complications and embarrassing us. "'He seems to know an amazing amount regarding Egypt and all relating to it. "'Perhaps he wouldn't mind translating a little bit of hieroglyphic. "'It is child's play to him. "'What do you think?' "'When I had thought the matter over a few seconds, I spoke. "'We wanted all the help we could get. "'For myself, I had perfect confidence in both men.' and any comparing notes or mutual assistance might bring good results. Such could hardly bring evil. By all means, I should ask him. He seems an extraordinarily learned man in Egyptology, and he seems to me a good fellow as well as an enthusiast. By the way, it will be necessary to be a little guarded as to whom you speak regarding any information which he may give you, Of course, he answered. Indeed, I should not dream of saying anything to anybody excepting yourself. We have to remember that when Mr. Trelawney recovers he may not like to think that we have been chattering unduly over his affairs. Look here, I said. Why not stay for a while, and I shall ask him to come and have a pipe with us. We can then talk over things. He acquiesced. So I went to the room where Mr. Corbeck was and brought him back with me. I thought the detectives were pleased at his going. On the way to my room, he said, I don't half like leaving those things there with only those men to guard them. They're a deal sight too precious to be left to the police. From which it would appear that suspicion was not confined to Sergeant Daw. Mr. Corbeck and Dr. Winchester, after a quick glance at each other, became at once on most friendly terms. The traveler professed his willingness to be of any assistance which he could, provided, he added, that it was anything about which he was free to speak. This was not very promising, but Dr. Winchester began at once, I want you, if you will, to translate some hieroglyphic for me. "'Certainly. With the greatest pleasure, so far as I can. For I may tell you that hieroglyphic writing is not quite mastered yet, though we are getting at it. We are getting at it. What is the inscription?' "'There are two, he answered. "'One of them I shall bring here.' He went out and returned in a minute with the mummy cat which he had that evening introduced to Silvio. The scholar took it, and, after a short examination, said, "'There is nothing especial in this. It is an appeal to Bast, the lady of Bubastis, to give her good bread and milk in the Elysian fields. There may be more inside, and if you will care to unroll it, I will do my best. I do not think, however, that there is anything special. From the method of wrapping, I should say it is from the Delta,' and of a late period, when such mummy work was common and cheap. What is the other inscription you wish me to see? The inscription on the mummy cat in Mr. Trelawney's room. Mr. Corbeck's face fell. No, he said, I cannot do that. I am, for the present at all events, practically bound to secrecy regarding any of the things in Mr. Trelawny's room. Dr. Winchester's comment, and my own, were made at the same moment. I said only the one word, checkmate, from which I think he may have gathered that I guessed more of his idea and purpose than perhaps I had intentionally conveyed to him. He murmured, practically bound to secrecy? Mr. Corbeck at once took up the challenge conveyed. Do not misunderstand me. I am not bound by any definite pledge of secrecy, but I am bound in honor to respect Mr. Trelawney's confidence given to me, I may tell you, in a very large measure. Regarding many of the objects in his room, he has a definite purpose in view, and it would not be either right or becoming for me, his trusted friend and confidant, to forestall that purpose. Mr. Trelawney, you may know, or rather you do not know, or you would not have so constructed my remark, is a scholar, a very great scholar. He has worked for years toward a certain end. For this he has spared no labor, no expense, no personal danger or self-denial. He is on the line of a result which will place him amongst the foremost discoverers or investigators of his age and now just at the time when any hour might bring him success he is stricken down he stopped seemingly overcome with emotion after a time he recovered himself and went on again do not misunderstand me as to another point i have said that mr trelawny has made much confidence with me but i do not mean to lead you to believe that i know all his plans or his aims or objects I know the period which he has been studying, and the definite historical individual whose life he has been investigating, and whose records he has been following up one by one with infinite patience. But beyond this I know nothing. That he has some aim or object in the completion of this knowledge I am convinced. What it is I may guess, but I must say nothing. Please to remember gentlemen that i have voluntarily accepted the position of recipient of a partial confidence i have respected that and i must ask any of my friends to do the same he spoke with great dignity and he grew moment by moment in the respect and esteem of both dr winchester and myself we understood that he had not done speaking so we waited in silence till he continued I have spoken this much, although I know well that even such a hint as either of you might gather from my words might jeopardize the success of his work. But I am convinced that you both wish to help him, and his daughter." He said this, looking me fairly between the eyes. "'To the best of your power, honestly and unselfishly. He is so stricken down, and the manner of it is so mysterious, THAT I CANNOT BUT THINK THAT IT IS IN SOME WAY A RESULT OF HIS OWN WORK. THAT HE CALCULATED ON SOME SETBACK IS MANIFEST TO US ALL. GOD KNOWS I AM WILLING TO DO WHAT I CAN AND TO USE ANY KNOWLEDGE I HAVE IN HIS BEHALF. I ARRIVED IN ENGLAND FULL OF EXULTATION AT THE THOUGHT THAT I HAD FULFILLED THE MISSION WITH WHICH HE HAD TRUSTED ME. I HAD GOT WHAT HE SAID WERE THE LAST OBJECTS OF HIS SEARCH and I felt assured that he would now be able to begin the experiment of which he had often hinted to me. It is too dreadful that at just such a time such a calamity should have fallen on him. Doctor Winchester, you are a physician, and if your face does not belie you, you are a clever and a bold one. Is there no way which you can devise to wake this man from his unnatural stupor? There was a pause. Then the answer came slowly and deliberately. There is no ordinary remedy that I know of. There might possibly be some extraordinary one. But there would be no use in trying to find it, except on one condition. And that? Knowledge. I am completely ignorant of Egyptian matters, language, writing, history, secrets, medicines, poisons, occult powers, all that go to make up the mystery of that mysterious land. This disease, or condition, or whatever it may be called, from which Mr. Trelawney is suffering, is in some way connected with Egypt. I have had a suspicion of this from the first, and later it grew into a certainty, though without proof. What you have said tonight confirms my conjecture, and makes me believe that a proof is to be had. I do not think that you quite know all that has gone on in this house since the night of the attack, of the finding of Mr. Trelawney's body. Now I propose that we confide in you. If Mr. Ross agrees, I shall ask him to tell you. He is more skilled than I am in putting facts before other people. He can speak by his brief. AND IN THIS CASE HE HAS THE BEST OF ALL BRIEFS, THE EXPERIENCE OF HIS OWN EYES AND EARS, AND THE EVIDENCE THAT HE HAS HIMSELF TAKEN ON THE SPOT FROM PARTICIPATORS IN, OR SPECTATORS OF, WHAT HAS HAPPENED. WHEN YOU KNOW ALL, YOU WILL, I HOPE, BE IN A POSITION TO JUDGE AS TO WHETHER YOU CAN BEST HELP MR. CHOLANI AND FURTHER HIS SECRET WISHES, BY YOUR SILENCE OR YOUR SPEECH. I NODDED APPROVAL. Mr. Corbeck jumped up, and in his impulsive way held out a hand to each. "'Done,' he said. "'I acknowledge the honor of your confidence, "'and on my part I pledge myself that if I find my duty to Mr. Trelawney's wishes will, "'in his own interest, allow my lips to open on his affairs, "'I shall speak so freely as I may.' "'Accordingly I began, and told him as exactly as I could,' everything that had happened from the moment of my waking at the knocking on the door in Jermyn Street. The only reservations I made were as to my own feeling toward Miss Trelawney and the matters of small import to the main subject which followed it, and my conversations with Sergeant Daw, which were in themselves private, and which would have demanded discretionary silence in any case. As I spoke, Mr. Corbeck followed with breathless interest, Sometimes he would stand up and pace about the room in uncontrollable excitement, and then recover himself suddenly and sit down again. Sometimes he would be about to speak, but would, with an effort, restrain himself. I think the narration helped me to make up my own mind, for even as I talked, things seemed to appear in a clearer light things big and little, in relation of their importance to the case, fell into proper perspective. The story up to date became coherent, except as to its cause, which seemed a greater mystery than ever. This is the merit of entire or collected narrative. Isolated facts, doubts, suspicions, conjectures give way to a homogeneity which is convincing that Mr. Corbeck was convinced was evident. He did not go through any process of explanation or limitation, but spoke right out at once to the point, and fearlessly, like a man. That settles me. There is in activity some force that needs special care. If we all go on working in the dark we shall get in one another's way, and by hampering each other Undo the good that any or each of us working in different directions might do. It seems to me that the first thing we have to accomplish is to get Mr. Trelawney waked out of that unnatural sleep. That he can be waked is apparent from the way the nurse has recovered, though what additional harm may have been done to him in the time he has been lying in that room, I suppose no one can tell. We must chance that, however." He has lain there, and whatever the effect might be, it is there now, and we have, and shall have, to deal with it as a fact. A day more or less won't hurt in the long run. It is late now, and we shall probably have tomorrow a task before us that will require our energies afresh. You, doctor, will want to get to your sleep, for I suppose you have other work as well as this to do tomorrow. As for you, Mr. Ross, I understand that you are to have a spell of watching in the sick room tonight. I shall get you a book which will help to pass the time for you. I shall go and look for it in the library. I know where it was when I was here last, and I don't suppose Mr. Trelawney has used it since. He knew long ago all that was in it which was or might be of interest to him, but it will be necessary, or at least helpful, to understand other things which I shall tell you later. You will be able to tell Dr. Winchester all that would aid him, for I take it that our work will branch out pretty soon. We shall each have our own end to hold up, and it will take each of us all our time and understanding to get through his own tasks. It will not be necessary for you to read the whole book. All that will interest you with regard to our matter i mean of course for the whole book is interesting as a record of travel in a country then quite unknown is the preface and two or three chapters which i shall mark for you he shook hands warmly with dr winchester who had stood up to go whilst he was away i sat lonely thinking as i thought the world around me seemed to be illimitably great The only little spot in which I was interested seemed like a tiny speck in the midst of a wilderness. Without and around it were darkness and unknown danger, pressing in from every side. And the central figure in our little oasis was one of sweetness and beauty, a figure one could love, could work for, could die for. Mr. Corbeck came back in a very short time with the book he had found it at once in the spot where he had seen it three years before. Having placed in it several slips of paper marking the places where I was to read, he put it into my hands, saying, That is what started Mr. Trelawney, what started me when I read it, and which will, I have no doubt, be to you an interesting beginning to a special study, whatever the end may be if indeed any of us here may ever see the end." At the door he paused and said, "'I want to take back one thing. That detective is a good fellow. What you have told me of him puts him in a new light. The best proof of it is that I can go quietly to sleep tonight and leave the lamps in his care.' When he had gone, I took the book with me, put on my respirator, And went to my spell of duty in the sick room. End of chapter 9. Recording by Roger Moline.